Good morning. My name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. We're looking at Mark chapter 4. We are studying the Gospel of Mark this fall. And this is the first time in the Gospel of Mark that we come across what are called parables, which are really stories Jesus told. And he told a lot of them in order to communicate certain things about what it means to be in relationship with God. And, um, and this one, the parable of the sower, as it's often called, uh, is found in all three of the synoptic gospels. That would be Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That is to say, this is an important parable. It's repeated three times. And not only that, but we get an answer key along with it, which is really handy, which we'll talk about here in just a second. But as I was looking at this parable and what Jesus is saying through this story, and then even in the explanation after, a question kept coming to my mind, or maybe just a a thought kept coming to my mind, that one of the promises that we hear a lot, and maybe you even heard it this week, is the promise, this will change your life. You realize how often people tell us that something will change our life? Maybe a friend of yours just bought a truck. And he insists, this has changed my life. This truck has changed my life. Now, how's it really changed his life? Well, you know, he's spending more on gas. That's new. Uh, more people are asking him to help them move. That's definitely changed. But, but really what he means by that is the circumstances of my life have changed. My driving experience has changed. But as an existential experience, he hasn't really changed. But, but, but we say that about a lot of things, not just about things that we buy, but, but about like um, workout regimes, workout programs. Someone will say, this has completely changed my life. Or, uh, or even those little vacuum cleaners that are remote controlled that just go out and get the crumbs and come back in like this has really, really changed my life. Now, we can take those for what they are, but then you also hear it about maybe more significant matters, maybe more intellectual endeavors, like this book changed my life. Or this show, it just changed my life. This, this play that I went and saw or this experience I had, this trip I took, it changed my life. And we hear that so much that I wonder if when we come to a text like this in which Jesus says unequivocally, I will change your life. If we're not just a little bit suspicious, if we're not just a little bit like, well, we'll see. Uh, especially if, uh, if we're coming to this text and maybe we've heard this story before. Maybe it's the first time you've ever heard this parable. Maybe you've heard it many, many times before since the time you were a little tyke in Sunday school with the styrofoam cups and all the different kinds of soil in the styrofoam cups or biodegradable cups, whatever kind of church you went to. And, um, and, and you know the story and, and, and you know what Jesus is saying in the story. What he's saying is, if my message gets inside of you, it will transform your life. You've heard that all of your life, but the fact is you still feel very much unsettled and unchanged. So you're wondering, like, can I really count on Jesus one more time when he says he will transform my life? If I feel so stuck in the same compulsive behavior, in the same cycles of shame, the same problems I've had for a really long time, can we really trust when Jesus says, when the gospel gets inside of you, it will change your life? Are we, are we going to let ourselves believe that this morning all over again? When we've been disappointed 
Well, how do we do that? Well, when Jesus speaks parables, uh, he's just inviting us to sit back and reflect. That's the nature of these stories. They call for reflection. And so this morning, we're going to do that. We're going to think about what it means for Jesus to make the promise that when his message of the kingdom gets inside of us, it transforms us. Let me pray for us and we'll, and we'll jump in. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you even this morning for being the faithful sower of seeds. We pray that that your seed would land on good soil this morning, that we would be receptive, that we would be eager to learn what you have to teach us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, when Jesus says that his words will change your life, he means business. And we see that in the very first verse of this passage. We're told there is a very large crowd following Jesus. Now, if you were here last week, we talked about this. Jesus is starting to accrack attract not just large crowds, but Mark tells us very large crowds. So much so that, that, that when he enters into this seaside, this lakeside village, um, he asks his disciples to get a boat and to push it out just a little ways with him in it um, so that he can sit down and teach more people. You can kind of get the visual, can't you? That if he's out a little ways into the water, sitting in the boat, that was the traditional posture of a rabbi to sit and teach in that format. And there are people now spread out on the shore. It's not just the fact that he can see more people. He has more of an angle on people, but it's also the water is going to provide like a a natural amphitheater for him. It's going to amplify his voice. You've been at the lake before when you can hear somebody all the way across the lake, have a very private conversation with you on this side of the lake because the voices carry across the water. And here Jesus is saying, I want more people to hear what I have to say because what I have to say is important because what I have to say will change your life. It will change you from the inside out. And then as if that weren't enough, he tells a story that is all about change. It's all about what it means for the gospel, the good news that Jesus came to proclaim and to demonstrate, for that to get down deep in your life and to change everything. And to understand what he's saying, we need to understand two things about this story. First of all, the power of the seed. And secondly, the condition of the soil. The power of the seed and then the condition of the soil. It's interesting that Jesus chooses the analogy of a seed to describe the word. We see that in this passage because, as I mentioned, he provides an answer key to his parable, which he normally doesn't do. This is rare. Normally, this is the way it would work. Jesus would show up. He would say, there's a sower. He's sowing seeds. There's four kinds of soil. Let those who have ears hear. See you later. He'd walk off the stage. That would be it. That would be the teaching for the day. You can imagine people are like, okay. We came all this way to listen to that. I, I, I saw that happen this morning. That's nothing new to me. I see farmers scattering seed all the time. But in this case, we get a peek behind the curtain and his disciples, much like many of us who would be in the same situation, say to him, uh, Jesus, help us out. What are you talking about? And Jesus tells us, in verse 14, so now we're in kind of the answer key section toward the end of the passage. He says, the sower sows the word, that is the word of God. In Matthew's gospel, he says, the word of the kingdom. Okay, so it's not just that Jesus speaks words. It's that Jesus is delivering a message. There's content here. There's a, 
There's a message, an announcement inherent to the word. So the announcement, the message, the declaration goes out. Jesus says, just like a farmer is walking through his fields, scooping up seeds out of the bag and scattering them all over. And Jesus says, that seed transforms everything. It's powerful. What an interesting uh, image of power a seed is when you think about it. We live in a city that, that specializes in symbols of power. And so if you look throughout Washington, D.C., what symbols of power do you see? Impressive monuments, impressive buildings, statues of famous people, words carved into marble and granite. These are things that communicate power. But when Jesus wants to communicate power, what does he give us? A seed, which when you think of it, has its own power, doesn't it? I mean, let's just say you want to transform a field from something that is dead to something that is alive. Well, a shovel is going to get you part, part of the way there. A plow is going to help you a little bit. Dynamite might make some big holes. But what you need, what you really need is the power of a seed. Now, some of you know this because you're from a part of the country known as kudzu country, right? The vine that ate the South. So this invasive species from about 150 years ago, someone brought it over, thought it was a great idea, planted it in the ground. And before you know it, it grows a foot a day and takes over large sections of the Southern United States. You know the power of a seed, one little seed, one little seed to take over completely. And what Jesus is saying is when the seed of the gospel gets planted in your life, it is so powerful. It doesn't just take over, it transforms Everything, the chemical composition of the soil, the, the mineral richness of the soil, stuff that's just dead all of a sudden is bursting into bountiful, beautiful, beneficial life. It is powerful, isn't it? A seed is powerful, but it's only powerful when it's planted. So the story starts out with the sower sowing seed. So Kids, if you're listening, don't think of someone with a needle and thread. That's the first thing that comes to mind. Different word. Sounds the same. Different word. Um, there's a word for that. And he's planting seeds. Okay? And if you plant a seed in the soil and you take care of it, over time, something amazing is going to happen. Something's going to grow. You see, it's unlike the seeds that are in your garage right now. Some of you have a big bag of grass seed that didn't quite make it down this fall, all right? It's sitting in the corner of the garage. The chipmunks have found it. The birds fly in the garage and eat it. And you're like, ah, I'll get to that next year. Or on your shelf in the garage or in the basement, you have a long bin with all these pretty little packets that you intended to plant this year of tomato seeds and squash seeds. And, and they're great, and maybe they'll work one day, but they're not doing any good in the garage, and what Jesus is saying is the power of the gospel is only unleashed when it is planted in your life, when God plants it in your life and in your heart. So it raises an important question. Is the gospel in your life? Is the word in your heart? How? is the word getting into your heart. Now, I'm asking that question from experience, from my own personal experience and my 
personal experience as a pastor. Let me say that again. My personal experience as someone who is not always consistent about reading the Bible myself. So, you know, sometimes my one-year Bible plan, I'm on year three this year on my one-year Bible plan, right? So sometimes, yeah, I, I know that inconsistent in my own life. Uh, fortunately, I have to get up and do this every week. So I'm kind of, the Lord forces me to get in the word every week. That's good for my soul. But I also know just being around Christian brothers and sisters that this is an area many of us struggle. Like we simply don't read the Bible. Many of us just don't read the Bible. Um, you know, we listen to podcasts, we listen to sermons, we sh- and, and you're like, well, I'm here on Sunday. Yeah, you're here on Sunday and I'm not gonna argue with that. It's good. This is part of how the Lord sows the word in our hearts, not just in the sermon, but in the whole service. We, we organize and develop our worship every Sunday so that you are saturated in the word. You can't get away from it. We're gonna sow seeds from the minute you walk in, from the minute you walk out. That's good. But Sunday sowing is not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about a lifetime of having him sow the word into your heart. And in order to do that, you have to be in it. In order for it to be in you, you have to be in it. Podcasts, good. Blogs, good 10% of the time. Um, Christian radio, fine, whatever, like... Those are all supplements, but those are just like supplements to what the Lord calls us to do. So how do you do that? Well, don't you know, we live in amazing, we live in an amazing time to be alive because this little device right here can help you with our, help us with our discipline problem. You can listen to the word anytime you want. You can uh, read the word anytime you want. Uh, not while you're driving. You can listen while you're driving and read when you're not driving. This month, you heard it just a moment ago uh, at, at Reston and here at McLean, you heard the announcement, community groups, we want you to be involved in a group. And what we do in those groups is not just like hang out. We dig into the word together with other people who, 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 who you can learn from and you can help disciple. So next step, Join a community group if you're not part of one. Uh, Or if you are part of one, talk to your community group. How can we help each other be in the word, not just when we're together, but when we're apart as well? Um, We've said this before. I'll say it again. Where you're sitting right now, you have probably within reach one of these Bibles. I was going to say, feel free to take a Bible home with you. And I should clarify, not your neighbor's Bible. Okay, they might be upset about that. You can ask them. They might feel very generous. You can ask the person next to you, can I have your Bible? They'll probably give it to you. I'm pretty sure. Um, If not, take one of these. And if you want to be discreet, you know, put it in your purse or your man purse or whatever and and, and leave with it. It's yours. And then this is, this would be your assignment. Read the gospel of Mark. And uh, you've got three months to read 60 pages. You can do that. But seriously, read the gospel of Mark with us this fall. Um, but in order for, that, for the word to be in you, you have to be in it. We have to be in it um, in order for that power to be unleashed. Now, before you leave with your um, new to you Bible, um, let me just clarify that, that what we mean when we say being in the word is not just, not just reading it, all right? There's nothing magical about having your eyes go over the page, um, you know, these aren't 
These aren't magic seeds in that sense. Um, there is, a, there is a, a reward to patience and perseverance when it comes to reading and meditating upon the word. I mean, that's what seeds do, right? They require perseverance and patience to grow. It's not going to show up overnight. And, uh, and it's also not just going to be like non-reflective, just reading as if that's going to do some kind of wonderful thing within you. Jesus even says this in the passage. Um, he says that in order for the gospel to be powerfully at work within you, you need to hear it. And we all know the difference between hearing somebody and hearing what they're saying, right? Someone said to you before, I'm sure, do you hear what I'm saying? No. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? And that's what Jesus is doing in this parable. It's, it, that's actually what he's doing with parables. He's saying it's not enough just to be like, that's, that's kind of a clever thing to say. He's saying, do you really hear what I'm saying? In fact, he begins the parable in verse three with the word, listen. And he finishes the parable in verse nine with the phrase, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Isn't that a strange phrase? He who has ears to hear. Well, most of us have ears to hear. What is Jesus saying? He who has ears, the ears of faith. We're not just talking about physical ears. He who, who has a heart to hear what he's really saying and receive it as something you need to hear, let him hear. You see, he's distinguishing between just hearing and really hearing what he's saying. This is also why we have this odd intermission in verses 10 through 12. So the first thing Jesus says about parables is something that's rather perplexing, isn't it? He says to you, this is verse 11, to you, speaking to his disciples and those around him, you've been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but to those on the outside, I'm just going to talk about parables all the time. And then he quotes from the prophet Isaiah, who knew something, by the way, about those who hear and those who really, really hear. He knew the difference. He experienced it in his own life. Uh, and, and the purpose of the parables, he says, is that they might indeed see but not perceive, that they might hear but not understand, lest they turn and be forgiven. Now, this is perplexing because it sounds like what Jesus is saying is, I'm speaking in parables so people don't understand what I'm saying. Or I'm speaking in parables so people think they understand what I'm saying, but don't really understand what I'm, I'm saying. Or worse yet, I speak in parables so no one will turn and ask for forgiveness. So this, is, this has caused Christian theologians fits for a very long time. Understandably, it's a very confusing thing that Jesus says. It's helpful to understand where he says it in context. This doesn't just come out of the blue. This comes as a bridge between the parable and the explanation of the parable. And part of what this parable is about is the fact that not everybody receives the word the same way. Some people hear the word, the message of the kingdom, and do not respond. In other words, they don't understand what Jesus is saying, and their response shows it. And other people do respond. That's why this parable is, um, is more about the soil than the seed. Like, that's where most of the time is spent, both in its telling and its explanation. And so this bridge part is really a way for Jesus to say, a parable is a way for me to find out who's really listening and who's just kind of here for the show or here to appreciate what I have to say as a, as a good teacher. 
Do they really understand? Do they see and perceive? And so he moves into this section, uh, not just of the power of the seed, but of the condition of the soil. So let's talk about the condition of the soil. So I mentioned before the biodegradable cups that we have up during Sunday school. And um, if you have kids at home, you can do this experiment at home, or maybe you've had this experiment done on you. But I remember, you know, Sunday school teacher pulls out cup number one, cup number one, labeled number one. And, uh, and she put like hard, concrete-like dirt in that first one. Cup number two, uh, some just like a cup full of rocks. And some kid, of course, tried to drink the rocks, but that, that, that's a different story. The third one, the crowded one with you know, thorns and, and weeds coming out. And cup number four had potting soil in it. And we all got to go and we got to touch all the different cups. We got to see what was in it. And then the teacher asked, if you put a seed in each one of these cups, what's going to happen? And of course, some kid raises his hand and says, you put it in the first cup, it's going to grow. And you're like, no, wrong answer. Number four, answer is number four, right? We all knew it was answer number four. But it was that tactile experience of thinking through the different soils that helped us understand different ways people respond to the good news about Jesus. And he tells us that um, when the seed is planted, it has to be planted in the right kind of soil. Soil number one, he tells us, is the soil of the hard-hearted person. Remember, he's decoding this parable as he goes. And so if you look, for example, at verse 15, we're told these are the ones, these are the seeds that are sown along the path. So this would have been the place in the field where the farmer was walking. Or this would be the place on the golf course where you hit your your, your, your tee shot often, right? So you hit the tee shot and on the fly, it hits the cart path. And what happens when it hits the cart path? like 300 feet in the air, and it's gone forever, okay? And that's what Jesus is saying about this seed. You cast it, you throw it on the path, and it bounces three times, and the birds come, and it's gone forever. What's the analogy? The analogy is to the hard-hearted person. So it's the person who hears the message about Jesus, and it just never gets below the surface. It just kind of bounces right off. This is the person who concludes, yeah, there's nothing for me there. Jesus doesn't have anything that's going to add any value to my life. Or the person who says, I could never believe that sort of thing. Not just the skeptic, not just the religious skeptic, but kind of the person who, from their perspective, has his or her life all together. And therefore, I don't really know what value added uh, Jesus is going to be for me. And so the gospel never gets below the surface. The second person, second cup on our table is, is the rocky soil. And this is the shallow-hearted person. Jesus tells us this is the person in verse 16 who receives the gospel with joy and enthusiasm, but then the sun comes up and it gets hot. The tribulations, he says, and the persecutions arise on account of the word and the person withers away. This is the person who has an amazing spiritual experience, like uh, a guy, a young man I knew had this amazing spiritual experience, believe it or not, watching a televangelist in the middle of the night. And he showed up at church the next morning and he said to me, uh, my eyes have been opened. I know all about Jesus and uh, I'm going to stop partying. I'm going to stop smoking pot. I'm going to stop going out with my friends. I'm going to start a Bible study at my work. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, tomorrow I'm applying to be a counselor at a camp for troubled teens. I was like, that's fantastic. And we started meeting together. And then, you know, after about two or three weeks, the sun came out 
and, uh, and the heat started pressing in. It turned out his friends didn't really want to go to a Bible study with him. They wanted to go out and smoke pot. And it, and it turned out that his relationship with his mom was, wasn't that great, and he'd moved back in with his mom. And, and then sort of what, what, um, what, what set it all off course was the fact that he didn't get the job as a counselor with troubled teens. His application got rejected, and so I saw less and less and less of him, and finally he just never showed up anymore. Um, it was the story of the shallow soil. Enthusiasm? But then once... The tribulations and persecutions, which are part of life and part of following Jesus, show up. That person just withers away. And the, what Jesus says, that's because the person had no root. That's the second kind of soil. The third kind of soil is the crowded soil. Verse 18. Now, I'm guessing as you're moving through all the different soils and all the different heart conditions, this is the one that maybe sounds the most familiar to us. Because this is the one in which the gospel takes root. It actually begins to grow. But what does Jesus tell us? It starts to get choked out. It starts to get crowded out. There's competition for your heart. There's competition for your affections. There's competition for your energy. There's competition for your discipline. There's competition for your sacrifice. And what is that competition? Jesus spells it out for us in ways that are remarkably modern. Verse 19, the cares of the world. the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. Yeah, see, this is why this, this soil sounds a whole lot like us because we know what it's like to be overwhelmed by the cares of life, like overwhelmed. And then alongside that, we're like, but I got to keep working. Or I got to keep studying. Or I got to get the next degree. I have to get the next promotion because if I don't, then I won't make enough money to be secure. And if I'm not secure, then I don't know what's going to happen to my future. And then we're so overwhelmed and so stressed that we turn to the desire for other things in order to medicate ourselves and numb ourselves and cope with all the stress and anxiety and fear within us. And before you know it, we get to a place that Jesus describes here as unfruitful. And, and we begin to ask the question we started with this morning, will I ever be able to change? Is this ever going to be different? Is tomorrow ever not going to be just like today? Thankfully, Jesus didn't preach a three-point sermon that day. Four. And the last, he says, is good soil. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, right, okay, this is the part where he talks to all the good people. Nope, sorry. This is the point where I talk to all of us, and I say, actually, the good soil is, has nothing to do with being good. It has everything to do with being desperate. Because the good soil is defined as good. Why? What does Jesus say? Because this person receives the word and accepts it as the word he or she needs to hear. Needs to hear. Has to hear. Words of life. Eternal life. And this message, I'll just tell you, this message of the kingdom, it's going to, it's going to sound about as powerful as a seed. It's not going to overwhelm you. Because here is the message of the kingdom that Jesus came to deliver in person. That the king, Jesus, came not to conquer you, 
but to be conquered. Not to change you by force, that's the way of human power. No, to change you by love. Not to overwhelm you with the majesty of his holiness, but to overwhelm you with the glory of his, of his grace. And the message of the kingdom is that the God who is the judge of all came to be judged in our place. That he loved you not on your best day, but on your worst. You want to know what changes you? That message changes you. And Jesus guarantees that that message is true. He even says in John chapter 12 this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains dead. But when it dies in the ground, it bears much fruit. What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about himself. He's saying, I am the one. It's my life and death and resurrection that gives you the hope that tomorrow doesn't have to be like today. That you have been given a transformed, new, radically reoriented heart, affections, will, that all of that has been given to you by Jesus when he planted the message of the kingdom and even his own presence in your life. So how do you change? Well, it just begins even today by hearing this good news with open hearts and with the empty hands of faith. Let me pray that the Lord would help us to do that. Father, uh, thank you for your word, which is for us the powerful seed of the kingdom. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would clear out the thorns and the weeds in our lives, that you might make room for the, the transforming grace of Jesus, that tomorrow would in fact look different than today not for our own glory, but for your glory, Lord Jesus. We pray all these things in Jesus' strong name. Amen.